If uh, you weren't with us last week, uh, you actually are joining in the second week in a series that we're doing on marriage calling The Mystery of Marriage. And last week, we actually talked about the foundations that are necessary for marriage in order to thrive in this day and age. And I'm excited about next week about sharing what it means about marriage to be a covenant rather than a contract or even a greater commitment, but rather a covenant. But today we're going to do something a little bit different. And if you're visiting with us, uh, we're a Bible teaching church. We base our messages on the Word of God and our applications as well. But today's going to be a little bit different uh, because you might want to consider this an applicational message to the whole series as Kim and I are going to be sharing our story about our marriage and some of the lessons that God has taught us along the way. Actually, we've had a pretty good marriage. But about the 20-year mark, we did hit a wall. And we want to share with you this morning some of the lessons we learned during that time, and hopefully it'll be helpful to somebody else. Actually, Kim and I became what I would call professional husband and wife and parents. Now, what I mean by professional is this. We learned like a black belt in karate how to juggle our schedules and responsibilities as married people, but at the same time, our hearts were growing more distant from one another and drying up. Um, You might say the Peglo business was still open. (laughs) We were parenting and we were married but things on the inside were dying, and it really wasn't that pretty of a picture for us. You see, we were busy, as young parents understand what busy's like and those of teens, and uh, we had all the responsibilities going of a house, a household, uh, kids, and, and, and yet at the same time, what was being ignored was intentionality in our marriage and the kind of time it takes to keep that internal fire going. So that fire was being quenched. That that fire, which I basically call a tender heart towards one another that treasures the other one deeply and esteems them highly. And we had patterns in our marriage, to be honest with you. Again, pastor in the ministry, everything looks good on the outside, but on the inside, we had some patterns going on that were very deadly for us. Some years ago, the Saturday Evening Post ran an article on, um, that perfectly described the drift in our marriage. And it was called The Seven Ages of a Married Cold. The first year, baby girl, I'm worried about you. You've got a bad sniffle, and there's no telling about these things with all this strep around. I'm putting you in the hospital this afternoon for a general checkup and a good rest. I know the food's lousy, but I'll bring in the meals from Rosini's. I've already got it arranged with the floor superintendent. Year two. Listen, darling. I don't like the sound of that cough, and I've called, called Doc Miller to rush over here. Now you go to bed like a good girl, please. Year three. Maybe you'd better lie down, honey. Nothing like a little rest when you feel a little punk. 
I'll bring you something to eat. Have we got any soup? Year four. Look, dear, be sensible. After you feed the kids and wash the dishes and throw another lawn or load of laundry in, you'd better hit the sack. Year five. Why don't you get yourself a couple of aspirin? <laughs> Year six. If you just gargle or something instead of sitting there barking like a seal. And year seven, for Pete's sake, stop sneezing all over me. What you trying to do, give me a pneumonia? That's kind of where our marriage was. We were someplace between six and seven, year six and seven, one through five were long gone. And to be honest with you, we were pretty short with one another at that time. Uh, we'll be both, we're gonna, we're always committed to being honest. I look for, or I should say, she looked forward in the morning to me leaving for work. <laughs> and I didn't look forward to coming home. It really wasn't a fun time. We loved each other, but we did not like each other. We really didn't. We, we, we didn't like the people we had become. To me, I saw our relationship like two trains on two separate tracks. We loved the Lord. We were heading the same direction. We served the Lord, but we weren't, we were apart. We weren't together on the same track. For a few years, I had been struggling with my health, and I had seen many doctors, had many tests done, and everything was ruled out. Um, so my doctor had uh, told me, or he sent me to Mayo Clinic, and there I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder called fibromyalgia. Because I had been, I, at that time, I had been pretty close to being bedridden. I couldn't do very much at all. And fibromyalgia is like a neurological and a conne connective tissue um, disorder. So it affects a lot of your muscles in that um, and the connective tissue to your joints. And it causes chronic pain and chronic fatigue. There's no cure for it, but rather you manage it by uh, changing your lifestyle patterns. I always was very active, um, athletic, adventurous, with high energy level, very high. They used to call me the Energizer Bunny. Um, I found myself restricted with many limitations and um, in the beginning, this situation left me feeling incapacitated, very discouraged, and I was grieving the loss of who I once was. Um, I was wrestling with embracing this and accepting this as from the hand of God, and um, just trying to figure out how to live my life in light of it. Pat found himself picking up a lot of what I wasn't able to do, the, the load that I, I just couldn't carry anymore. And at first he picked it up with joy and, um, you know, because we had a clear diagnosis and that was a relief for both of us. But as time went on, he became very angry and resentful toward me and uh, he, was, he was just resentful for the person that I had become. How do you tell your wife 
that you're not even sure you like her anymore. Especially when you're the senior pastor of a church and you're preaching on a series, being lovers of God and people. We went to bed one Saturday night after a really hard day, a lot of exchanges. We hadn't spoken to each other for several hours. And I remember turning over to Pat and saying, Pat, I just apologize. I apologize to the person that I've become. I know I'm not the person you married 20 years ago. And I don't even like the person that I've become. I'm in a process of grieving that person that once was full of energy and life. You know, um, I don't remember how I responded to Kim at that time, but I do remember this on the inside. I felt freed up because she kind of validated what I was feeling when she said that she has changed and she's not the person she was. And I was like, you know what, I wasn't just imagining this and this wasn't all stuff just happening in my head, it's real. And uh, it was really the best night of sleep I had in a long time. I remember waking up the next morning and sharing with Kim um, just how I felt disappointed in what has happened to her and what has happened in our relationship. And me doing that really freed up Kim. And this wasn't a tit-for-tat kind of thing. This was just two people being radically honest with each other. Uh, she was able to share back her disappointments about me in the relationship. Uh, with me primarily, I didn't really provide a very exciting life for her. And um, Moraine Valley had become the other woman in our relationship. Uh, my love, my energy, my excitement, my creativity was all poured into the ministry <laughs> that God had given me and that I loved to do. And Kim and the girls clearly felt uh, a distant, distant, pushed away in second. And so Moraine Valley became the woman she had to compete with. And then finally, she told me, Pat, I'm dying on the inside. I know I'm struggling physically, but our relationship is killing me. I, I'm dying. You know, and when she shared this with me, I didn't defend one bit because I knew in my heart of hearts what she was saying was true. I really, I'm still not to today a very exciting guy to be with. Um, actually, I love relationship and I love talking. That's all it takes for me and I'm as happy as can be. But Kim, she enjoys a few other things in life beyond that. And I didn't provide much of that. And so excitement for me be just sitting down and talking to you. And that, that's cool, man. I go home and I'm filled. But uh, Kimmy needed a little bit more. And for her, an exciting date with Pastor Pat was being able to go to a small group meeting together or maybe even a Moraine Valley Church event or even once in a while, baby, why don't you come and join me in this counseling session? Um, much better than our dating years when I was a custodian here. Baby, you want to help me clean up the bathrooms before Sunday morning? I mean, <laughs> you can see I, I provided an exciting life for my wife. I see Dave and Denise over here. You can relate to that, huh? That's an exciting date, isn't it? 
We gotta get the church ready for Sunday morning. And so our life wasn't too exciting. And I put no intentionality into our relationship. And I put no creativity into it. That's just, that's just the truth of where it was. Everything was going into the other woman, Moraine Valley Church. And we were in trouble. And we knew it. And that's the end of the story. We came here today hoping some of you might give us some answers and help us know where to go from there because we're still stuck there. No, by God's grace, God did something. He put on my desk a flyer about a marriage retreat for people in ministry regarding the unique struggles that people in ministry go through in their marriage put on by other ministry couples. So we have ministry couples talking to us about the unique struggles that a ministry couple goes through. And so we signed up for that retreat and went there. And God really did meet us and uh, do some things that really put us back on track. And so we want to share a couple things God has taught us. Uh, I'll start and then Kim will share. There were really three things for me. The first one we got here on a PowerPoint. You need to start all over. Get remarried, but to the same person. Okay, amen, yeah. Get remarried, but to the same person. Some of you may have heard the name Ray and Ann Ortland. Uh, they were the first couple that were sharing, and uh, it's like Rick, God Rick, met us. Yeah, Rick and Kay Warren. And yeah, there were, there were numerous. Uh, Jack Hayford and a number. We just there were a number of people that you would know their names that were from the ministry sharing their stories. But Ray and Ann Ortland uh, did a session about the fact and telling the story that was just like ours. The story was simply, you know what? Over time, not the person they married. And, and they, they saw that, uh, you know, it's a whole, you know, I married that person back there. That was the deal I thought I was getting into, not what I got today. You following me? And the reality is the, the the seriousness of ministry's got a lot of cool things, but you run into a lot of problems, really sobered me up. I used to be a real fun guy, and that really took, boom, I, I, I really sobered up. And Kim getting sick really changed her. So we weren't the person we were. We understood totally what the Ortlands were saying. Then they said this, you need to renew your vows with the person they become today. You know, and they said, you got to do that over and over again throughout the rest of your life because your marriage and your life is going to keep on changing. And that was so freeing to us because we were kind of grieving what we had back there that wasn't there anymore. And we didn't know how we'd ever get back there. But you know what? We had this new person in front of us that we had an opportunity to start all over with again. And we've done that over and over again. And that really set us back on the track to be able to let go of that and say, who's the person I have in front of me today and how can we do it? I've shared with you, I mean, just simple little illustrations are kind of cute ones, but I told you when Kim married me, I was just out of the Marines a couple of years. I was a lean, mean fighting machine. A little bit on the pudgy side, but not, not uh, totally. And um, after years, she ended up, what I used to say, I was a stud muffin at that time. Then she got a stuffed muffin <laughs> over time. 
And so, you know, she had to make, that's a whole different, you know, but one of the advantages, babe, you know, used to lean against me, it's like leaning against the rock. Now he's nice and soft. Now it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, now, it's kind of like the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like a feather pillow I'm leaning against. So, you know, there's some advantages to that new person. And so we need to take the person and where they are today and re-embrace them with all our heart. And Kim and I have done that over and over again, and that has freed us up so much. Second thing I learned is this. Walking with Jesus is essential, but marital skills are very important too. I gotta be honest with you, I poo-pooed all the skills. Hey, man, I'm walking with Jesus. I'm meeting with him. I'm praying. I'm getting in his word. Everything else is going to supernaturally fall into place because I'm walking with Jesus. Well, that isn't how it happened. And skills are very important to develop because, you know, you're taking two lives and everything about that life is being joined together and learning to live it as one. And there are so many skills that we can learn about marriage that will make us more effective in that, that will really take a lot of the stress out of it and really a lot of the fight out of it and the combat that goes there if you just knew some of the marital skills that are there. And that was something I learned during that time is, yeah, I'm going down, I'm walking with Jesus and I'm loving him and I'm trusting him. But you know, I learned that week some skills <laughs> that became very helpful. And so I, what I try to do for myself is at least once a year read a book about marriage. And let, let me encourage everybody at Moran, I hope everybody's got a heart to keep on growing. Uh, wherever you are, there's always room to grow. You know, you can go to a, a retreat uh, on marriage, you can go to a seminar on church. There's webinars out there, ever since COVID, there are so many webinars available that you can do. Kim and I did a webinar in December uh, on marriage by the Scazzeros, Pete and Jerry Scazzero. We were blown away. There was a skill we learned in that time that we just said, boy, it just helped enrich our marriage. And again, there are just so many things we can learn along the way. I've actually been reading three books just to prepare for the series as well as to help me become a better husband. But you know, guys, there is so much available to us by people and there are so many skills that can make us better. Yes, learn to walk with Jesus. Yes, learn to trust him. Learn what his word says. Depend on his spirit, but learn the skills <laughs> that are so available to us in so many different ways that will really make our relationship more effective and less com combative. Then finally, there's one other point that was big to me, and God called me to enter into Kim's world. I needed to appreciate and value her life. Now, before you ladies want to take me in the parking lot and stone me, there's worse coming yet in the series, so save it. You only get one stone. So uh, save it for a better time. But I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't think Kim's life was that important because, I mean, I'm serving God. I'm working in the ministry. I'm out to change the world. I'm out to save marriages and help depressed people and demons. I mean, come on, man. I'm into the big stuff. This is what life is about. And so in my mind, 
My stuff was important. Her stuff was kind of like, okay, baby, get over that stuff. Come on, we got, we got to move on to bigger things. And so that was my honest attitude. And like I said, there'll be worse coming, ladies, so save that stone for the right time. But God really challenged me because Kim had entered into my life real well. She really did. But I didn't enter into hers. In Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, um, we're going to do a whole message on this passage. But bottom line, husbands, how do you love your wife? You sacrifice yourself for their best. And God really challenged me at that time that I needed to step into Kim's world that was just as important and just as valuable as mine. It was just different. And, um, and I can say this. Kim has genuinely become my number one ministry. She's no longer the second woman. And, uh, you know, she is the one that not only is she my number one ministry, she's my number one love and relationship. Um, Outside of Jesus, obviously, but here on earth. And that was, amen. I told Kimmy actually just recently, and I, you know, Kimmy, after all these years, uh, I keep on getting them wrong, and she keeps she correct me again this morning. It's 43, I guess. I said, I knew it was in the 40s someplace. <laughs> but uh, I said, you know, baby, after all the people I've met and all we've been through life, and as well, I know I still would choose you again in a split second to be my wife it was today. And um, guys, I've, I've made it my business. I've made it my ministry. And I want to challenge you men. Make it your number one ministry to love your life well and learn how to do it. It is so important. And as we learned in Ephesians 5, guess what? That's the picture that God is using to the world to show them how Jesus loves the church and how the church is to respond to Jesus. Our marriage is a tremendous witnessing tool to those who don't know Jesus as well as to help younger couples know how to love and walk with Jesus. Kimmy. Okay, I just want to make a side note here. Back in the day when Pat and I got married, the church did not have a ministry for premarital counseling. So we started out as strong believers in Christ, but we didn't have the gift that our church gives to a lot of these younger couples with the premarital counseling. So I thank the Lord for couples like Carolyn and Ed and Teresa and David, and there's so many others out there, Michelle and Eric, and I think Tammy and Gary too. These couples that give up their time. Wally over here. Yeah, Wally and Michelle. Um, I know I'm going to leave some out, so I'll stop. Dan and Lori. We're sorry. We're apologize now for everybody we've offended. But I'm thankful for couples that are willing to give up their time to meet with these younger couples and um, just give them uh, just a, a good start to their marriage. Good start. But back then, you know, Pat and I had to learn how to work as a team. 
We didn't really understand that concept. It was just a given. He was in the ministry and running to church, and I was doing what I needed to do as a mom, stay-at-home mom, and uh, taking care of our children and teaching them the word and, and just being a helpmate to Pat and just feeling like I just had a lot going on. Um, but we had to learn to work as a team, the two becoming one. As Ecclesiastes 4 talks about, um, a cord of three strands cannot be broken. And then it goes on to say that two are better than one because they get a good return for their labor. And when you work as a team, you become more of this oneness. Um, We became a team with household duties and raising our and parenting our children. We were we both began to have a part in that. Um, you know, just according to our schedules and our commitments, because his commitments were pretty heavy at that time. But he did learn to put our family first, and um, that's why I brought my little Bubba calendar up here. I have it, and I know that everybody uses their cell phones and everything, but I have had this from the time our children were young, and I call it my Bubba calendar. I just put every, I used to put everything in it. So we would meet once a month and go through the calendar, what the kids' schedules were, what any special events were, their activities, their extracurricular things. So um, anyway, that's why I brought it up. It's special to me. But that's a good idea for for couples. You know, you have your own little calendars, and I know you can kind of merge them together, but to me, I need hard copies in that. At least I I did back then and still today. And we were willing to pick up the slack when one wasn't able to do it. It wasn't like, these are your chores and these are my chores, but we were able to come together. We would look at the calendar. I would see that his week was full, and. I would go and cut the grass. I wouldn't get annoyed that the garbage was full. I would go take out the garbage, and I didn't mind it. And when you're working together, um, there's more of a warmth in your relationship, and you know the other one is working for you, and you're working for them. He would sanitize the bathrooms, or wash the dishes, or make dinner if I wasn't able to get home from something on time. Um, So we work together in that oneness. The second thing in the oneness was in decision-making. We learned to listen to each other when things came up and really hear and understand what the other one was saying. Um, Regarding major purchases, our giving and tithing, what we were going to give to the church or different organizations, um, our children's schooling, the vacations that we went on, the activities that we were going to put our children into because we knew we didn't have a whole lot of time, so we weren't, our children weren't going to be in every activity that the park district offers or the school offers. We had to limit that. Um, yeah, so, um, okay. And then the, the other thing about decision-making, too, is that we did not act on a decision like with a major purchase or something like that. We did not act on it until we prayed together, prayed apart, came together, and we were unified in in that final decision. So prayer is everything with each other. Let me me add one thing to that, Kim. We're thinking about this when uh, Kim was telling me she doesn't go there. 
Do you realize how many fights would be resolved if we really believe that marriage was about the two becoming one? When it comes, so many fights are over decisions, we disagree about stuff. Well, if we recognize the two have become one, and we're not looking for my decision or her decision, but the one decision, you following the difference? The win-win for both. And now we're <laughs> fighting to find God's wisdom for us as one rather than me wanting what I want and she wanting what she wants. And now I'm going to listen to her with a lot more respect because God has given her a perspective that I don't have. She's going to listen to me. I got a perspective she doesn't have. And now when the two become one. <laughs> and so, guys, when we really believe that marriage is about the two becoming one, we're looking for the one decision not to get my way or her way. And it's so important. And I'm just bringing up Ephesians 5 again that, you know, I know it says the husband lays down his, his life for his wife, but we've got responsibilities too, ladies. It also says that we need to love and respect our husbands. And, and that comes into play with, with the oneness too. We need to honor them, love them, and respect them. And, and I can't say that strongly, strong enough. I know I, I falter with that sometimes if we get into an argument or something, but um, the Lord brings that back, <laughs> and there's forgiveness. <laughs> okay, another area of oneness is in the finances, and Pat and I never really struggled too much in, with the finances. We didn't have a lot to struggle about, um, <laughs> but one area... Um, that was not, it, it wasn't an area that we were, we, we had struggled with. Um, but I'm hearing more and more when I get in conversations with other couples is that they talk about this is mine and this is yours. This is mine and this is yours. And um, it's, it's like a mentality that they have regarding their finances. When you become one together, what's mine is his, and what, what's his is mine. He's working, and he's bringing home a paycheck, and I'm the stay-at-home mom. But what his is mine, and then whatever little jobs I find along the way to make money, and everything, what, what's mine is his. We're together in this. Our finances are together. You have the same bank account with both of your names. You have the same credit cards with both of your names. Um, the, the mortgage, both of your names should be on it. Car titles, you know, there is a oneness. You are a unit. You are a unit. So, um, so finances was, is another area that um, if you are struggling in it, there is help. There is help with making a budget. There is... Our church has a great program for those that are struggling um, in, in their financial situation. So we learned to work as one in our responsibilities, our major decisions, and our finances. So the second thing that I want to stress now is we need to learn to study our mates. Do you really know the person that you're married to? Do you? There is no other human being in this world that is identical to your spouse. Psalm 139 says, God made each one of us unique and different in our mother's womb. 
we are each wonderfully and fearfully made. And I think our world has categorized, oh, men, oh, he's just a man, or she's just a woman, you know, this is the way most women act, or this is the way most men act. But you know what? In reality, there's no other woman like me. There's no other woman like Christy. There's no other woman like Retta. There's no other man like Pat or Dave or uh, Gary. They're different. They might be men and fully male, but they're different. So um, I want you to listen to this quote from Gary Thomas, and it was something that um, Pat had found in this book called Cherish, and I'm in the process of reading it. Gary Thomas says this, your spouse has a unique history, so cherish your spouse by treating them according to their reality. They are living a life that has never been lived before. Remember Psalm 139, they are so different and unique. They have a personality that has never existed before. They have a unique blend of strengths and weaknesses, temptations and gifts, as well as a once-in-a-universe calling, a godly calling. Your role is to help them complete their one-of-a-kind story that God has for them. Let me read that again. Your spouse has a unique history, so cherish your spouse by treating them according to their reality, who they are, who God has made them. They are living a life that has never been lived before. They have a personality that has never existed before. They have a unique blend of strengths and weaknesses, temptations and gifts, as well as a once-in-a-universe calling. Your role is to help them complete their one-of-a-kind story. So take time to discover one another. For instance, men, do you need... Do you need some downtime when you get home from work? Do you need just five or 10 minutes just to kind of, or women, if you're out there working, do you need that when you come in? Do you need to just kick off your shoes and just rest and not be hit with everything? Um, Just to kind of breathe, you know, just have a moment of breathing. Um, What are your spouse's favorite hobbies? What are their favorite color, the flower, their candy, the food they like, the types of movies and books and activities and places they go to? Do you know if your mate is an introvert or an extrovert and how to, how to go about meeting their needs? What energizes or depletes your mate? Do you know? Do you even know? For me, I'm an introvert. And for me, what depletes me is when I'm going to be depleted after today. I know that. (laughs) This morning. But what depletes me sometimes is I love being with people. I love people. But when I'm in big groups or big gatherings and that, and putting out a lot of conversation, by the end of it, I'm toast. I am just toast. I need a retreat away from everybody. I need that silence and solitude. So that's just an illustration. Okay, and what are their love languages? Do you know their love languages? There's five of them. The physical touch. The receiving of gifts. The acts of kindness. The words of affirmation. Or the quality time that you spend with them. Do you know your mate's love language? Because I'll tell you, when you start meeting it, it fills their love tank up. 
and causes warmth together. What are their inner quality traits and characteristics? Are you studying your mate to know that? What are their inner, inner qualities that you just love about them, that drew you to them and their characteristics? What are the areas in, with their strengths and their weaknesses? Do you know? Do you know what your spouse's strengths are? Do you know what their weaknesses are? Study your mate so you can begin to practically cultivate a relationship where you both can express and cherish your love to one another according to the knowledge you have of one another. Some ways to do this are begin to and practice praising and affirming your mate, their inner character, their personality traits, their strengths. Are they smart, kind, funny? Do they have a great sense of humor? Do they parent well? Are they loyal friends? Are they good listeners, great cooks, or a baker, or a griller? Are they creative? Are they a good provider? Do they have a heart for God and his word? Are they a good listener? Are they wise? Are they teachable? And then pray often and regularly about everything with your spouse as much as you can. I know when you have little children, you don't have a lot of time. But when you do have time, take it. Take it to pray about everything, even decisions about your children or decisions. Am I going to go back to work? Am I not going to go back to work? And I, I mean, there's, we're faced with multiple decisions every day of our life. So pray about everything. Lovingly exhort them to work on their areas of weakness and to excel still the more physically, spiritually, emotionally, and intellectually. One of my weaknesses is I just have some fears, fears of what other people think. And I've got a lot of insecurities too. And um, yesterday I mentioned that to Pat. He said, how you do? And I said, I'm just a little fearful again. And, and he, he helped me reframe my thinking. He spoke truth into my life and helped me reframe my thinking. He didn't blow me off and say, ah, oh, come on, Kim, God is big, he is great, he's gonna give you what you need. He came alongside me, whoop, and he prayed with me, and he, and he just kind of helped reframe my thinking in a loving and gentle way, and he pointed me to God again. He is great, he is good, he is faithful. So um, anyway, that's, that's just a way you can help your mate, even in those things. And little things, just a little example, this is a side note again. You know, things you can do is not just only affirm and praise, but like Pat and I once in a while would just stick little love notes under each other's pillow without the other one knowing, or stick their favorite candy bar under the pillow, you know? So you go to bed at night, you're fluffing your pillow, and you go, ah, you know? And, and it doesn't have to be a long note. It could just be just a, a sentence, a sentence, I love you because, or you are just so, such a great wife, or you're, you know, I love the way you love our kids, or our grandkids, or whatever. Um, so we do that, and then there was, there was another situation, and God brought it to my mind. Um, before COVID, you know, we were out having dinner, traveling, and I was engaging in conversation with a, a server, and once she walked away, he turned to me, he took my hands, and he said, Kim, you are so kind and so beautiful. That ministered to me. 
I mean, it came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. And I knew he was talking about my internal, my internal being. And um, it just filled my tank up. It just filled my tank up. My husband loves me. He thinks I'm kind and beautiful inside. And it really, it really ministered to me at that time. So simply come alongside each other and support one another in helping your spouse live out their personal story that God has written for them and that God has created them for. Why is this important? And I'll be closing with my part. Your attentiveness and your interest in one another will deeply, deeply convey and communicate your undying and unwavering love for each other. It will demonstrate to your spouse that your spouse is the most important person in your life other than Jesus. And it will warm their heart toward you in such a way that they will begin naturally responding back to you in like manner. Thanks, Kimmy. You know, we, we've kind of shared our heart today, um, our story. You've heard a lot of different things. I, my big question to you is, is there something that you need to address to cause your marriage to excel still the more? Maybe it's something uh, like I shared. Maybe you've been in that place with your spouse where you're maybe grieving they're not who I signed on with and you need to re-embrace your mate with who they are today in light of where you are. Maybe you need to study your mate and really get to know them so you can minister to them well. Or a lot of other little things we mentioned. I don't know what's for you, but I want to give you a conversational starter so that uh, maybe a good way to follow up this message with your mate. You know what, baby? Or if you want to call her baby girl, whichever works best for you. You know what, baby? Blank, and fill in the blank for you, is the area I believe I need to give attention to in order for our marriage to excel still the more. Is there an area God has spoken to you about? In other words, you know, guys, uh, you know, it's not why. A great practice is read a book together, a chapter a week, and then share how God spoke to you. Not what I read in that chapter that you need. You know, we love to do that. We read, boy, Kimmy, she really needs this. She need, you know. What did you hear today that God is speaking to you about that you need to begin to give attention to so that your marriage would grow? And then give your mate an opportunity. Is there anything God spoke to you about? And uh, it'd be a great conversation and a great place to start to grow in your relationship. You know, the wall Kim and I hit may seem very small and not that important compared to maybe some of the walls you're facing. There's people we know that have gone through things that are way bigger than we did. And the uh, situations are way tougher. Um, so I don't know where you're at today, but like I said earlier on, skills are important. But turning to Jesus and trusting him is essential. And so I want to encourage you, get the skills. But I want to close us with an opportunity to turn to Jesus. I was really encouraged personally by a passage recently in Corinthians 
and it talks, and I just cut out the part that relates to us, but it's about prayer. Paul talked about coming through this trial that was so big they thought they were gonna die. And he says, we know God is yet gonna deliver us. You also joining in helping us through your prayers. You realize we can help each other by praying for one another? (laughs) Then he goes on and talks about, and the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of the many. As we pray for one another, we are helping each other's marriage or situation in life, and we're calling God to bestow his favor on that situation. Prayer is so important. We're gonna have some couples up available afterwards to pray with you, and maybe you've got something that you need to address in your marriage or your life. I'd encourage you, let us help you. Let us call upon God's favor to come in and be a part of that. And then second one, we're going to close with this song. There is nothing our God cannot do. Do you realize that is true for you and for your marriage? It's been true for me and our marriage. It'll be true for you as well. And there's, a, there's a phrase in this song that says this. Just one word. Just one touch from Jesus and the power of heaven will enter into your life. Do you realize that? Guys, one word from Jesus. Pat and Kim can talk 10,000 words and nothing can happen, but if Jesus says one thing to you (laughs) or he touches your life like that woman, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. She spent all her money trying to fix her physical problems she do is touch Jesus, him, boom. That's our prayer. Make that your prayer as we sing this morning. Psalm, or Jeremiah 32 says this, and then we'll sing. I just want to. Oh, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. As you sing this morning to God in closing, I'd encourage you, Sing in faith, make it your statement of faith, make it your prayer, ask Jesus to touch you and touch your marriage. Thanks for letting us share, let me pray. Josh is someplace around here. So Father, I I thank you for the privilege of sharing our story and what you've done. And uh, God, I pray as we close in song, I ask you, Lord, would you give us the grace to sing to you and not just sing a song? Would you give us the grace from the core of our being to make the words of this song a statement of our faith and the prayer of our heart? God, I pray today, Lord Jesus, would you just speak a word to our hearts? Would you touch us? Would you touch Moraine? God, would you make us different forever for your glory? So Lord, I just pray as we close this morning and then you would give others the freedom to come forward and receive help and grace through the prayers of others. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.